Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he's nice enough to come on and talk about What's happening in the marketplace, Sean? How are you doing this morning? Good, We're real good on a Friday here, and uh, and uh, excited to uh, get to the weekend here. So, yep, everybody's working for the weekend. Song about that, <laughs> you know, good times. All right, man. So, a few things coming up here. We obviously have a, have a report coming out today. Uh, USDA stock report comes out today. Um, thoughts on that as we go into that? Are you expecting any big fireworks up or down either way here, Sean? We usually don't. Uh, you know, they usually wait till January if they're going to make some final drastic changes. I mean, you know, I, I'm, they're free to do anything that they wish, but I really don't think it's going to be a market-moving report. Obviously, what's most important right now is Brazil weather. And I think if they, if they trade the report, they'll trade it for one hour, and then they'll trade weather again. I just think that's where we're at. But I'm not anticipating this being a big market moving event um you know unless they they break character and do something in december they don't typically do so yeah okay as you take a look at some of these factors that are out there right now let's talk about brazil for a little bit we talked brought this up before we got started that uh the last time we had something that looked like this scenario that we're in was 2015 2016 time frame looking at the vegetation health 
and just you know the overall kind of aspects what the market looks like as you take a look at this sean what are some of the comparisons that you're seeing between this crop in brazil now currently and then what you saw back in 2015 2016 remember in 15 16 we had hot hot dry in the north extreme wetness to the south it's a very unusual combination and really uh, prior to this year 1516 was one of the driest in the north and one of the wettest in the south and now of course we're seeing a drier north and a comparable wet south so so i think it's important to kind of look at where we are now versus where we are then because we know back then soybeans ultimately uh, production turned turned out to be down 10% total production. And uh, I believe uh, corn production was down about 25% total production down. So that's what we had that year. And that's, you know, pretty significant shortfalls, certainly for corn. So, you know, there's a lot of ways you can look at it. You can look at rainfall. You can look at temperatures. I mean, we look at that. We can look at subsoil moisture and we can do that. I like to look at this time of the year is look at what's the vegetative health look like. Um, satellite takes a picture and it has an algorithm that it kind of measures what's healthy, what's not healthy. It's not perfect, but at least you're comparing apples to apples from one year to the next. So what we did was we went up and we looked at the north and said, okay, Mato Grosso, how's Mato Grosso vegetative health to at this moment, as of last week, um, you know, look relative to the same time frame in 2015-16. Mato Grosso looks Similar, meaning we're almost at uh, almost at an exact same vegetative health. There is a distinction, however. We're still rapidly falling, whereas in fifteen sixteen we were actually coming back like, out, seeing improvement. Yeah. So, you know, and then looking at the weather this week, you know, it, it's we're going to probably continue to push that, which, which means the next vegetative health comes out once a week. By the way, um, is probably going to be lower. But but bottom line is we're comparable right now. Now, in the that represents twenty six percent, roughly, of total soybean production. Then, if you look at uh, 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 de Sol and Goas, those are the two other uh, areas to just to the periphery that grow an additional thirty um, percent. They're much. They're actually uh, worse you know, solidly worse in those two regions. So when you put all that together, and, and they're also on the decline where they were rising back in 1516. So so safe to say at this moment in time, we're overall modestly worse on a vegetative health, and the trend is still down versus up. What really surprised me is the South. Uh, you know, south is being rain after rain after rain after rain, and usually rain makes grain, and the market doesn't get excited about too much rain. But, you know, I was expecting to see, uh, you know, similar, uh, you know, nothing too different. And, I mean, they're way off. I, I, I don't have, an, I, I can't, I'm not sure why, but, I mean, if you look at Piranha, which grows 15% of total soybean production, and you look at um, Rio Grande de Sol, which uh, grows 15% of total soybean production in the South. Both those regions, if you look at them individually, uh, the vegetative health is considerably off from what it was in 2015. Uh, 
much more than it is in the north. To me, that could be the big story here. If those vegetative health continue to show crops developing uh, at a at a worse rate than they did, because remember in fifteen sixteen, what really helped the crop only be down ten percent was the south helped you know uh, bail out the north the the, the poor uh, production in the north. But if the south is going to be considerably worse than fifteen sixteen, let's say the north is similar, which that's the way. It, you know, then we, we could be looking at product total soybean production down considerably more than 10%. So it's, it's something we're, we're going to watch every week and monitor it to see if somehow we catch up all of a sudden. But it, it's not just down by a little. It's down by a, a, a significant margin. And I just found, I just found that to be uh, shocking, quite frankly. I wasn't expecting to see that. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's an objective data. It's not my opinion. It, it is what it is. That's what the satellite's saying. And that's what it said. It's the same algorithm. No, no difference. So very interesting. Uh, something is different this year um, in terms of what hap- what's happening with the crop in the south versus the north. And I think that if we're going to, if there could be a, a, even though the market won't react to wetness in the south, it could be that when they start rolling those the uh, the harvest, you know, they start the plant, you know, they start harvesting the the crop down there in in uh, January and February, it, we we could be very very surprised that we get shockingly poor results coming out of the field, and we have to quickly make adjustments. Something to pay attention to because we're not too far away from rolling. Um, the combines to harvest the crop down okay. there, and um, and it's just it, it's so anyway. I think that's something that probably is not being talked about much uh, by too many, or uh, and, and I just think it's it's a it, to me. I think that's where a big surprise could come from. I think it's fairly safe to say most people recognize the North is in trouble; and they're going to be down considerably. But most people, there's no real example of the South getting into too much trouble with wetness. But if the vegetative health stays this poor. Relative to fifteen sixteen, you're not going to have the same outcome at all if if we don't turn this around. I mean, turning around like the next three four weeks, it has to turn around because this next four weeks is mission critical developing yield for soybeans, and so definitely a uh, a very important metric to watch going forward. In my opinion, probably the most important metric to watch. Uh, weather is weather, and but what's actually happening on the ground is is the most important thing. Yeah. So I'll have to remember in a couple of weeks to check back in on that and see what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would say with two to three weeks, we need to take another look yeah. at it. And do we just have a dramatic catching up or all good or, or we're continuing to fall further behind the eight ball. So that definitely would be something we should update within, you know, let's say uh, two or three weeks for sure. Right okay. So, all right, let's jump over and talk about India for a little bit. So there were, we've talked about India quite a bit that their opportunity for having, um, some down cycle in their uh, seven year run that they've had of, of great crops over the last, uh, you know, this last time that these last couple of years, there's an opportunity for them to show some weakness in, in what we've taught in their overall production. And we're starting to see that come through now. Um, there were three articles in a row about um, what India was going to do and how they were going to uh, handle some stuff. There is, uh, they're worried about disruption in their ethanol production for, for their blended gasoline. Uh, they're talking about um, the limits that they can extend exports on um, rice and wheat both this time. And usually it's just one or the other. And we're also seeing some um, just overall wheat stockpiles as a whole start to come down. 
you talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago where India had, you know, they're planting their wheat now and they're going through that process and they are having one of the worst starts ever. So I guess, Sean, talk a little bit about what we see happen over in India. Yeah, they're off, to, they're off to an awful start. Now, an awful start doesn't mean a bad finish, but it's they're not off to a great... This is not encouraging. If you're worried about food inflation, you worry about a critical food item for one point three, four, five, six billion people, whatever the number is. Who knows how many people are actually there? But um, uh, this is not what you want to see, a bad start. You already were worried about supply. Supplies were already tight. You're already seeing, you're already seeing prices taking off, and now you're off to a terrible start. Um, you know, there's the, 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 there's a, the big debate about India is, is, is India restricting exports of all these crops, whether it's rice, wheat, sugar, cotton, are they doing it because of an, it's an election, uh, for, for, uh, an election, uh, advantage, meaning is it, is it, is it politically driven or is it supply and demand driven or is it a little bit of both? Um, I, I think, I think certainly when you have high food inflation in a country that size, there's going to be a political component it means you've got to get some of those prices down, uh, when you're coming up for election. So I, there, there, there certainly is a political component, but then the, but the second question is why are prices rising so much? Why? If they had so much wheat right. and rice lying around, why would the domestic price be taking off? Uh, it, it, it says that there's a shortage or is the what you wouldn't see domestic prices taking off. So I think it's a combination of both, but if their wheat crop continues to uh, have adverse weather and they come up significantly short on their wheat crop yet again, boy, you know, that that's to me set, puts India sets India off into a, uh, a different gear, I think, because you know, they they were they held everything back last year saying, okay, we're we're good, we're good. We're gonna have some better crops now. And now they need to have them. And especially wheat if they don't have that, you know, now you remember wheat and rice compete for the same mouths to feed. And and if your wheat comes up short now now your now your rice demand domestically gets even higher. They already have a ban on non Basamati rice, which they don't eat domestically there because it's too expensive. But so that may, in terms of you know food consumption um, crisis, you know for for a country as large as India is, I mean that could re- remember we have this working theory that the that India, who's who's been a large exporter of agriculture for a very long time, is in the process of coming becoming a permanent importer. So what the, could this mean? The, last year they just stopped selling stuff to people. Step one. Step two is buying stuff from people because they don't have enough domestically to keep food inflation down. So that would be the next stage of a potential food crisis in India is that they start to see them buying wheat from other countries in large quantities, you know, buying sugar from other you know countries in large quantities, having to actually bring it in, forget, you know, not selling it now actually bringing it in. That's the next stage that, could be on the table in the first half of 24. If that starts to happen, Casey, then wow, we are going to enter a very, very interesting time for the ag supply demand food chain 
globally. And if Brazil comes up short on corn and soybeans, as they're likely going to come up short, we're still trying to determine to what degree, but if they come up short on corn and soybeans, then, you know, we are in a pickle uh, because now you have the largest exporter of many, many ag markets in Brazil saying we're going to, we're going to export a heck of a lot less. And you're going to have India potentially importing uh, product in when they're supposed to be exporting product. You know, then there's, then there's the China factor, which um, once ASF, hopefully, knock on wood, once this ASF round completes, you know, and, and, and the decimated hog herd has to be rebuilt, they're going to need a whole lot more feed. And so I, would, yeah. I could see them starting to buy more feed uh, in the second quarter. Remember, Xi Jinping came over here and got all kissy-kissy, huggy-huggy, so we're all friends again. You know, I think he knows he needs to buy a lot of grain from us because I think he sees what's going on with India. I think he sees what's going on with weather in Brazil. And I think he knows that he can't. He, he, and it's it's an election year for us, which means silly things can be done. A, an export ban during an election year to show we're strong against China would not be out of the question. I think he's doing everything he can to make sure that is not the lever that's pulled because he needs our grain. And so that's a very interesting dynamic that um, you know could play out here as we move through the first half of 24. Yeah. And then what, what, it was, what does all that mean? The U.S. has to have the big crop. And it's not going to happen because La Nina is mm-hmm. going to come back for the middle to the back half of our growing season, which means hot, dry, finish. Doesn't mean a, a catastrophe, but it means a low trend. Low to mid-170s, upper 40s, you know, on soybeans and, uh, you know, and, and while that's not a disaster, in a situation like that, if that's what plays out, Casey, that is not going to yeah. cut it um, in terms of what people are going to need from us. They're not getting from Brazil and they're not getting from India. So that's that's the potential setup here. We also have the prospects for interest rate cuts by central banks across the world that are going to try to stave off a recession or improve it as they go into elections. Money printing is going to come back because somebody has to buy all this debt that's being issued, and uh, you're not going to do it by raising taxes in a recession. So uh, all these factors you know, make 2024 a very, very, very interesting year for commodities. Remember, we've, we've been essentially declining in overall commodities for the better part of the last almost two years now. Uh, year and a half to two years, um, and it looks to me like you know 20, 2024 could be where we turn that trend back up and go through our, a second wave or the second stage of commodity inflation. The first wave being the COVID uh, response-driven first phase, and then the second phase would be you know the one we're going to be entering into uh, more traditional on money printing weaker dollar that the, the more traditional and, and actual supply shortages you know in in, in post covid wasn't that we had supply shortages as much as we just couldn't get the right. supply could get it around we yep. wanted it cuz everything was just lockdown. was just yep. all messed up <clears throat> yep. you know yeah lockdown so yeah it was crazy that was a crazy time um as you uh, you you painted a pretty good picture there of of the fact that assuming that the united states can put together not even a trend line yield um, even if they did put a trend line yield in, what's your thoughts on that? If, if that did happen, if they did come through and get trend line yield and we had a, not a bumper crop by any means, but we had a, 
a pretty good crop. Well, if, if we delivered trend line yields, I, I, I guess it would be around 180 corn, give or take. I think that's what the USDA would put it at. I think trend line on soybeans, I think it's yeah, around 52. Right. I, maybe, you know, yep. It's around there, I think. Um, if we had trend line yields, you know, that would certainly would, would, I think, be enough to prevent a panic. It doesn't mean it would be enough to prevent um, shortages or, you know, higher prices or the need, but I think it probably would be enough as long as we're willing sellers to offset a, a, an outright panic. Um, but I don't, you know, it wouldn't be enough to create a surplus or mm-hmm. an oversupply or a bear market. It just would take the top off right. a panic site, you know, what could be a panic cycle. Cause if we come up 10 bushel to the acre short or five to 10 bushel acre short on corn and we, and we come Three to five bushel acre short on soybeans, like we've been doing the last two or three years, and it's a pa- it's panic time. Uh, in my opinion, that's a it's that's a panic situation um, because that would not be enough, and uh, you know then the domestic market here in the U.S. would be competing for you know it'd be pretty pretty wild situation. So um, you know I, uh, I I I hope for trend line yields because I don't want to see humanitarian. Uh, crisis in the world but the chances of having a trend line yield with a rapidly ending el nino and a rapidly rising la nina at no later than midsummer the chances that that scenario is going to produce trend line yields not impossible but highly improbable i mean the probability is that we're not going to be able to do that 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 scenario that i just said does not mean disaster crop if the el nino hangs on there's a lag effect and you get some El Nino weather that kind of transfers into the first part of the growing season. It staves off a Gleisberg cycle potential, which is really, you know, as we talked about before, we're going to be watching that timing. How quickly does the atmosphere respond? Um, is it, does it respond in you know, late spring? Does it respond, you know, more in the mid? We're going with the conservative outlook that by mid-July is when a La Nina is going to be very active in the atmosphere. We're going to have a hot, dry back half of the year that's the conservative outlook right now and we're you know if we see a quicker uh atmospheric response to la nina then we'll start shifting it to the right meaning shifting it earlier and the more we shift it earlier the more those yields could be compromised and so you know if we have a hard freeze in the first half of may which is our forecast that the probability this year is probably the greatest in 20 years for a um, you know uh, first half in the mid-may hard freeze for a good portion of the northern and central grain belt that will likely planted a lot of corn for sure um, and of course what that, what that would mean for winter wheat um, potentially um, you know then that then that adds an extra element because now you're going to have to replant a lot of stuff and you're going to push out pollination. You're going to push out pod setting further out into what's going to be a La Nina hot, dry weather pattern for certainly the central west, central north grain belt. So that, you know, that, that, that would uh, also increase the risk for yield. So that's kind of what we're looking at. And, um, you know, that, that, those are the signposts, you know, that yep. we're going to be monitoring and, uh, you know, if we miss this, all right, then we, you know, everything is up. We always try to tell everybody, you know, you, you, you have, it's a working, it's a working document. 
and you shift and you shift and you shift. You have a general track. It's like sailing, you know. The wind's going to tell you how you're going to get to the location. You're going to get there, but the path is not exactly certain. But the way if the wind shifts, then you shift your course and and, and alter it accordingly. And that's what you have to do with anything, um, with with any long-term or intermediate-term forecast. But right now, that's what we're looking at. And those are the things to be watching, the risk points to be seen. But it is... It, not not every year has the potential for this, you know. You can, you can't sit here and, and every year and say that all you know, this is a potential uh, scenario. It, it is absolutely possible. What we just said, um, you know, that that could be the scenario that plays out, and you know, that's why every signpost that verifies you're getting closer to you know, one of these things and the markets will start to react more and more and more once you pass the point of no return into these signposts. And that's why we lay them out there for people to monitor and watch and follow. So they themselves can also get a, get a handle on what's happening and where, where the things are shifting to the left or to right the right. On. So well, that's not to pay attention to, man. <clears throat> this is uh, going into 24th. So I've had this conversation several times with folks, but it's just a, it's a different kind of feel, you know, it's, that I don't think many people are overly concerned about not being profitable, but it's just how much, what's that profitability look like and what do we have to do to make that happen? And I think 24, just, it's just so much uneasiness out there. Uh, you know, one, one, one story is always different than somebody else's. And typically when you go into these, this time of year, when you're looking at in the 24 to the next year, the storylines basically the same. There's just a few additional characters in there someplace else. But this year there's, a million different storylines and a lot of, a lot of characters thrown in the mix. So it's, it's an interesting time for sure. Well, we don't, we, 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 we absolutely right now don't even know who really is going to be That's running true. for president. Sean I mean, Hackett. I don't know if Sean Trump Hackett. will be, al- <laughs> I mean, we don't know if Trump will be allowed to run. Uh, we don't know right. if he'll get the nomination. We don't even know if Biden will, will remember to run. <laughs> um, That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Or, 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 you right. know, if they'll allow him to run. I mean, we re- it's, it's a crazy situation. We're here, we're here less than a year away and we really, really, really don't know who's going to, who's actually going to be running for president. Uh, I don't think anyone could say with high confidence that Biden is going to be running. I don't think anyone with high confidence can say that mm. Trump's going to be running. It just, maybe they are, but no one can say right yeah. now with high confidence that's going to happen since yeah. it's, it's an insane well, situation. It is insane. very, very odd. It's the first time going into a presidential election in my lifetime that i can't tell you definitively who's going to be at least going through the i mean we know who's going through the uh uh preliminary um cycle with the uh with the on the republican side but like you said the front runner quote unquote front runner is he could be in jail and get elected from from a cell someplace so it's it's crazy but you know you read the day i mean to me, this is a good indicator of what's happening there. I mean, Hunter Biden got indicted on nine accounts of tax evasion or fraud or whatever it was he was doing. So I kind of feel like, yeah, it's a complete, it's a, it's, a, it's a complete mess. Total it's an mess, absolute so. mess. I, if he does run, if they, if they feel he'll, he can win, whatever, however, whatever the opponent is. I personally believe they're going to put in someone in, at the vice presidential mm-hmm. level that they want to be president. So if he gets elected, all of a sudden yeah. <laughs> he you know, had a sudden health uh, problem, and he 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 just can't uh, he can't 
run the presidency anymore. I, I mean, I hate to think this way, but I almost feel if he runs, they're, they're really going to be search, searching for the vice president to really be the president because they're only going to have him there as a figurehead to because they think what gaming that whatever whoever he's going against that that he'd be able to win even though he doesn't really have his right. cognitive abilities. Um, for sure, I agree. There anymore, totally agree. You know. And I've thought about that same scenario myself a few times. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah. You have to think about it. I mean, you, you, anyone that's looking at it who's not thinking about all these different scenarios, you have to be thinking about it because it's yeah. a, it's absolutely possible. That's the way, you know, look, people in politics, they're going right. to do whatever they have to do to win. And and it, it, as, as unsavory as it sounds, that they're going to take someone that has a uh, mental illness, which is very sad, by the way. Um. And, and and use him as a as a puppet sure. to get an election. I mean, they will do that. They're, right. they're ruthless. They don't give they a will, shit. They will, they will come do at that. You so with everything they've got, and they've proven that over and over and over again. So yeah, yeah. So so I I would not hold it back that, that that's the the playbook. They will do that, and then all of a sudden they will like I said they will find a the doctor will say, oh yeah, he had a sudden mm-hmm. stroke. I mean, whether he does or doesn't, it doesn't matter. They'll say he had a stroke or something and he, he can't be the president anymore. And then who they really want to be will be the guy that mm-hmm. comes in or the girl that comes in as yeah, vice president, sure. whoever they pick. Yep. You know, we will definitely so, see. We'll sure. see. All right, Sean, good place to stop. Folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what you're doing over at Hacker Financial. What's the best place to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Uh, we also have a, Twitter page at Faradix11. We have a LinkedIn page from time to time. We put interviews on there, um, some tidbits some of information that go over our our outlook with climate and prices and such so that people can take a look at how we look at the world in agriculture to see what we do might be of value to those mm-hmm. that listen. So I appreciate you being the podcast, man. We'll talk to you next week. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour Sounds with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Where else? at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast, TikTok at Moving Iron Podcast, and Snapchat at Moving Iron Podcast. Go to the video version of this on the YouTube channel, which is uh, Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Shocker. I know it's blowing your mind right now. Check that out there. Go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related. And if you're listening to this on a podcast, you know you can find it on that particular place, but you can also find it at Spotify and Apple Music or Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and you know the list just goes on and on and on. So check that out there. Any any place you can find a podcast, you can find the Moving Iron Podcast. So check that out. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. It's gonna be smart, folks. Out. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon.
Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hard work. 